Singe, Singe, Zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com. My brother called me from America last night to talk about loneliness. You know, it's been about six or seven months since our dad died, he said. I said, dude, weren't you a math teacher? It's only been four months. But I guess calculating emotions follows a different order than other kinds of data. Back in January, I started this year wanting to explore digital art, something I don't know anything about. And I wanted to talk about algorithms, how they create echo chambers, how they illustrate prejudice and affect bigotry, sexism, racism. Algorithms as tools for fascism, algorithms as eugenics, algorithms as order. But life, as they say, had other plans. Instead, I started this year sitting at a farm table in Wisconsin, collecting memories of a young family member we suddenly, shockingly lost. I started the year writing a eulogy for our loved one, our lost one. And I started the year feeling lost myself. My father was dying, had been dying, would continue to die. How much longer would he live? Would this be the final year of his life? Or would it be the next one? Back in January, I started this year standing in the drive of my cousin's Wisconsin farm, staring deep into a freezing January night, searching for order and feeling the chaos of the stars. And I thought, fuck art. Welcome to Artipus, art you can hear. Artipus visits The World Upside Down, the painting of Ali Banizadar at Blaine Southern Gallery in Berlin. But you know, as they say, time flies when you're living. The world kept turning and life kept happening. Algorithms kept calculating, artists kept making art. And before I knew it, it was late September and Berlin Art Week, and three months had already slipped away as quickly and quietly as my dad's last breath on a day in early June. So my brother called me from America last night to talk to me about loneliness and loss. How can something that is, by its very nature, empty, feel so heavy, he asked. So heavy, it drags time itself. When I returned to Berlin after the dispatch of my father's life, funeral, wake, scattering his ashes in the lake, 
I felt like just coming home to my life already in progress. It was familiar, so familiar and undisturbed that it was unrecognizable, like a word repeated until it loses all meaning. And for the second time this year, I thought, fuck art. I wasn't really looking for art. I was looking for structure. I googled stages of grief, searching for order, chronology, progression, and algorithm. What I got back was The Five Stages of Grief by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler. What I got back was The stages of grief are a part of the framework that makes up our learning to live with the one we lost. What I got back was they are not stops on some linear timeline in grief. What I got back was, not everything goes through all of them or in a prescribed order. And I thought, fuck Google. Among the five stages of grief is anger. Anger, I learned, can be an anchor, giving temporary structure to the nothingness of loss. Anchor can be a bridge over an open sea, a connection. It's something to hold on to, and a connection made from the strength of anger feels better than nothing. I thought, that makes sense. Anger was a bridge, and anger was connecting me, and anger was exhausting me, and three months of anger started to get boring. But there was still no structure, no order. That sea, that space, was as black and deep and empty as ever, and I wanted to get away from it. And I thought, maybe art? Maybe art. Maybe I can return to my old friend, art as I have always done when I'm lost, and find some structure, some meaning, some expression there for the things I can't express. Luckily for me, it was Berlin Art Week, so there was an extra amount of art to go spelunking through. But I was still feeling fragile and untethered, a plastic bag caught in an updraft, an empty life raft, a jellyfish in a riptide. Not ready for art noise, art kisses, art cocktails, art conversation, or art flirtation. So I only went out once, over to Potsdamerstrasse 77-87, where there are a cluster of galleries in the Hinterhof, a much more manageable spelunk, exploring only a patch of the art sky. In this little galaxy is the Blaine Southern Gallery, where I've been many times before. This time, when I walked in, its vast, soaring, white-walled emptiness, a haven for art, a heaven for art, a large temporary wall, a monolith of sorts, confronted me. It announced in a paragraph of bold black letters, The World Upside Down. Ali Banizadeh's paintings betray his deep awareness of the impermanence of the world and of self 
of the ever-moving belt of time that shepherds all of life toward an infinity we can sense and of which we form a part, but which totality remains beyond our grasp. He is not afraid to plunge into the abysmal depths, to walk our collective catacombs in search of vertiginous truths. And I thought, cool, this is exactly what I was looking for. On the other side of this monolithic wall, the main gallery floor feels especially vast, stretching into the distance, large, almost pastel canvases on the long walls on either side, lighting the path toward the painting at the far end, the one that contains the most vibrant colors, like a promise of the earth glimpsed from a tunnel of light, a way out, a grounding. Often with large format paintings, you have to take a step back, adopt a distance in order to observe the pattern and literally the bigger picture. The upside downness of Banisadr's paintings begin with this. You have to take a step toward them. You have to get close to find order and meaning for the brushstrokes and suggestions to organize themselves into lines and figures, creatures and movement. Banisadr only lightly touches the canvas with his brush, literally brushing against it so that the paintings look as impermanent as watercolors. The color themes are light, the blue-greens of moving water, sometimes cold like the North Atlantic, sometimes earthy and warm like the Caribbean. A collection of painted movement, confetti or sproutlings, cluster and form at the bottom of each canvas, lifting up to the center and carried away, capitulum, those gentle galaxies of dandelion wishes floating away on a breeze. When you get close to the paintings, the lines and brushstrokes reorder themselves into grotesques and caricatures, all mouths, teeth, torsos, violent and ugly and squirming and struggling to rise. The confetti is a swarming pool of envy and desperateness. The wishes are longings. Even the breeze becomes a futility. They look like illustrations from Dante's Circles of Hell. If this is a world upside down, then these demons are the demons of attachment, of memory, of the things that keep us grounded to life. Only vapors seem to rise from Banisadr's creatures. But the laws of gravity still apply to this world. The creatures live on the bottom of the canvas, stuck to the ground and trying to rise, stuck on the sky and trying to fall. A Jacob's Ladder between two worlds, as above, so below, what is and what could be, frustrated, angry, but no bridge. I feel like I've been here before. My brother called from America to talk to me about loneliness and loss, and to tell me he was angry at his teenage son for not acknowledging his recent birthday, wondering how he could teach his son the preciousness of parents, the lusciousness of family, the importance of cherishing the ones we love. At that same moment in America, there were hearings to consider allegations of sexual assault against the Supreme Court justice, and all the women were angry, Angry at not being heard, angry at being dismissed, angry at creating chaos, angry at disrupting the status quo. And all the men were angry, angry at being challenged, angry at disrupting the process, angry at being accused of being angry. And everyone in between, both inside the country and out, was angry that no one at all was being held to account. 
Common sense has given way to hysterics. The algorithms are broken. All is chaos. All is lost. They're burning the bridges. The monolithic announcement at the entrance to the gallery felt like a letdown. The promise of this artist going where the rest of us won't or can't or don't want to. Deep into the psyche to walk our collective catacombs. But it just doesn't look that bad to me. Swirling blues and greens, sometimes a little red or yellow for immediacy. But if that's the deepest depths of deepness, really it looks like you just have to learn how to swim. So I thought, fuck art. It's not what I was looking for. It's not the scaffolding of my grief. It's too linear, too binary, too up and down. Bridges of anger, by their very nature, are built of fire and burn their own anchorings even as they extend, leaving only ashes behind. I didn't want a ladder or a bridge. What I was longing for was something formless. I was longing for a painting that wasn't there because it's not by this artist. I was longing for a painting I had seen once. The Belgian artist Natalie Vanul invited me to her grandmother's farmhouse in 2015. It's where Natalie grew up. It's where her grandmother died. It's where her family had lived for generations. The farm was being sold, and Natalie was desperately trying to save it, to hold on to her family, her history, that part of herself in the form of that farm. She had organized an art party, and in some of the rooms she had her works on display. Walking through the farmhouse, I came across this piece, laying across the cold springs of her grandmother's old iron bed, in place of a mattress, in place of a body to lay on that mattress, was this painting. A large piece on paper, the same size as one of Bonnie Sauter's canvases. The work is in ink and oil, a swirling mass of midnight blues and blacks at the edges that migrate, gravitate, toward the center of the page, converging and blending and becoming a massive black space. It's not a hole so much as a cell, something movable, malleable, shape-shifting, but so black of emptiness, of space, of the unknown. You don't approach it so much as fall into it, positioned in the center of this bed where a mattress would be, where a body would be. It is a black of all colors, of speed both fast and slow, of loneliness so empty it drags time itself. I fell in love with this painting immediately because I already knew it. I knew it from when my mother died. I knew it from when I was small and afraid. I knew it from before I was born, and I knew it from the people my family still had to lose. Our young one, our old ones, ourselves. Natalie's family farmhouse was just outside of Ypres. This is a story in itself. The farmhouse was the site of the first mustard gas attack in World War I. Ypres is a town filled with death, the site of vicious battles in World War I, World War II, and the Great Cat Massacre. It's a town that keeps getting rebuilt for some reason, imposing order on all the nothingness of death. 
death repeated so often it has lost all meaning. If Bonnie Sauter's paintings walk our collective catacombs in search of vertiginous truths, Natalie's painting goes deeper, farther down than our catacombs, into the dark, into the blackness, into the hole that is a pit with no walls, that is the ever-expanding, ever-contracting universe. It is not the world upside down, but the world all-encompassing, the encompassing unknown. That shit is scary. That shit is divinity. That shit is life and death. And that shit is a place where you don't need bridges or bell towers or ladders and slides, but maybe an open boat. On the penultimate day of my dad's life, a strange fog rolled in from Lake Michigan. So thick it disappeared the skyscrapers visible from the window of my father's hospital room. So thick it filled all the spaces on the ground. So thick when I went for a walk that day to get some air, it filled my lungs, the sky, the grass in Lincoln Park. The only thing left to see, the freshly golden, gilded statue of Alexander Hamilton, that saint of American economic policy, facing the statue of the poet Goethe, majestic eagle on his knee. A fog curling thickly around my past and my present, staring each other down. My past being Hamilton, my present being Goethe, my future being the fog so thick I couldn't find my way back to the hospital, the fog being my mother, my mother being a Viking ship, and my father being a river about to flow back into the lake where my mother waits, drifting, afloat, an anchor awayed, a life raft riding the waves. The title of Natalie's painting is Please Fill In. She changed it later to Please Complete Me. Although the longing, the heavy, unformed emptiness at the center of the piece remains the same. And the piece itself remains in Belgium. I don't have to think, fuck art. Because the art is there, I just couldn't reach it. But I know it's there, somewhere. I've seen it. I want to see it again. I want to be able to touch it and feel it and lose myself in it. But maybe just knowing it's there is enough. For now. Leaving the hospital on the last night of my dad's life for a sleep and shower shift, my brother and I passed a pregnant woman signing in. It's like the circle of life, my brother said. And I thought, fuck this, and burst into tears. The pre-song, the interlude, the uulation that would come in force two nights later, after the fog had cleared and my father had cleared, after the hospital had cleared our dad away. And my brothers and I, in our private mourning, would drunkenly sing the songs, belt out the songs, scream the songs of our family in a deserted Chicago bar, wailing into the empty Chicago night, feeling the chaos of the stars. The most terrifying fact about the universe, the director Stanley Kubrick said, is not that it is hostile, but that it is indifferent. But if we can come to terms with this indifference, then our existence as a species can have genuine meaning. However vast the darkness, we must supply our own light.
Ali Banizadeh's World Upside Down is on view until November 17th at Blaine Southern Gallery, located at Potsdamer Straße 77-87 in Berlin. You can find Natalie Vano's Please Complete Me and her other work at her website at natalievano.be. That's N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E-V-A-N-H-E-U-L-E dot B-E. Original music used in this episode is The Beautiful Now Sketch One, composed by Jack McNeil. Artipus uses art to create a bridge connecting the personal to the global, supporting artists, museums, and galleries, and independent musicians and composers. If you connected to this episode, please support the making of the next one. Just click on the Donate button at our website, www.artipus.com. That's A-R-T-I-P-O-E-U-S.com. Transcripts and photos of this episode and more are available at medium.com. You're probably listening to us on SoundCloud or iTunes or on Acast for Android. You can also stream us through one of our media partners, a collection of independent galleries and organizations supporting art and artists through exhibits, online platforms and tools, and space for smart dialogue. Glarify at glarify.com. Gallery A Plus at aplusaplus.com. The Darkrooms at thedarkrooms.de. And Stuzu at stuzu.com. I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to Artipus, art you can hear. You've been listening to Artipus, produced and edited in Berlin by Susie Collick, with original theme music by Hotlegs, for the Zinger Network, S-I-N-G-E-Network.com. <laughs>